Hey guys, what's going on? It's Kyle Run back with another episode of the Warrior Havens Podcast, episode three to be exact. We're here March 24th, guys. It's a lovely rainy day. So let's get right into this video. Today I want to be discussing uh this is gonna be part one of a two-parter, and we're just gonna talk right now about three warrior cultures that I believe show qualities of you know being a warrior obviously and how that relates and how that translates to uh being a fighter what can you take what can you learn from these things in these cultures so the first culture that we will be discussing are vikings so everyone knows about vikings big guys you know got the furs on usually in winter climates pretty crazy they would be doing uh you know raids and pillaging all over europe so a lot of them originated from Scandinavia, and they reigned from about 793 to 1066 AD. So a big thing for Vikings was their religious beliefs and believing, and, you know, a part of Norse mythology is Valhalla, you know, dying an honorable death. So Vikings would often eagerly go into battle, believing that they would live on even if they didn't survive the fight. This is a very key factor because they would give everything in any fight they were in, any wars they had participated in, really not caring if they returned home or not. So that edge, walking in with that edge, I believe is a key factor, even for being a fighter and just a fight. Because if you do not have that switch, these guys are going in, relishing, you know, the bloodshed, relishing the warfare. And that that is dangerous. It's just dangerous. Especially if you're going in, if you're going in not willing to give it your, uh, if you're going in with someone who is giving their all, you're not willing to give your all. I only put a bet on who, who could win that. So... Vikings, they start off real young training. Start off real young training. These guys, um, just off of their lifestyle and how they lived, they did a lot of heavy lifting, building boats, cutting trees down, rowing, um, strengthening their legs and arms by farming, top of all the weapons training they would do. So they were really in shape, just dogs. And you would have different factions of Vikings, all who were rarely adept in war. Vikings were rarely adaptable. So a big thing. They were very adaptable. Um, and also they were experts on seafare. So being in a being an expert. You know, I would even say they they were experts at adapting. They had a lot of harsh conditions that they had to go around just in their general lifestyle. They said from the, the treacherous winter climate, um, they had to be hunters, not gatherers, because of their environment. So they were more used to, you know, taking on um, more dangerous animals, being more patient, having that discipline to hunt. And they just were such a problem for Europeans in the nights. They were such a problem. Uh, we're not even going to talk about, you know, the, the berserker Vikings that would take mushrooms or have 
their their pre pre rituals and just slaughter hordes of men. There's this one uh, infamous story uh, about this one Viking, and he it was the last stand. His army was retreating over this bridge, and the Europeans were right on their back. He ends up, um, you know, going berserk and hells off. I think it was 40 to 50 men, 40 to 50 men on this bridge while his men are able to retreat and get out of there before he's taken down. And they ended up getting him because some of the men on the opposing side went under the bridge and stabbed their spear up in order to kill him. It was just, uh, it's insane feat. And he's, uh, this warrior isn't the only one who has feats like that. So Vikings just endless stamina for days to not promoting drugs at all when I say that. But these guys were, especially mental, on the mental side of things, they were committed to making themselves as scary as possible. Um, they would carve lines into their teeth. They would braid their hair and fill it, to, fill it with dye to make them appear more monstrous. Um, they would wear different kinds of warrior pelts and blood, um, almost as if they were, per if they were, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, encapsulating the animals that they wanted to become, like a bear or a wolf, something along those lines. They'd be making noises. They'd be growling. So these guys were no joke. And so I think what to take from Vikings is definitely their adaptability um, and more of the monstrous side of their mentality. You see that in some fighters like uh, Justin Gaethje or uh, Roberto Duran or John Jones, where you get in that cage and you have such a high propensity for violence. You're almost you're almost not human. You're almost uh, a monster in a sense. And a lot of athletes do take that mentality into the cage with them. And it's something that I say uh, everyone finds their own niche on how it is to work. But that's definitely something that helps you immensely in the long run. And because there's a lot of things you, a lot of people have to disassociate themselves with how violent they are in the ring. So it's easier to look at yourself as a monster when you get in there than as who you are now. So Vikings were learning about adaptability and their ability to mentally compartmentalize the violence. So the next faction, next warrior culture we're going to be looking at are Mongols. Now, Mongolia, Genghis Khan, you guys didn't realize, they had the biggest empire in the history of the world for good reason too i would say mongols are extremely adaptable probably an expert on adapting these guys um they would start training from when they were three three to five years old a lot of their a lot of their um warfare was horseback and archery so they would begin training at three and their mothers would tie them into a horse saddle until they could ride by themselves and at age five they were taught how to shoot and practice until they turned 16 which is when they would normally turn to a fully realized warrior so 
these guys have been trained just like Vikings all life for this warfare. Um, and Mongols were known to have amazing horses that were tough, agile, sturdy, and they could travel far distances. I'm sure every Mongol rider had at least five horse, five horses that he could um, switch between for a campaign. I'll let you know how how cared for um, these animals were. So why do I say that they're very extremely adaptable? Why why do I think they're experts at adapting? Well, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest things is after they would win a war, win a battle. Usually, most cultures, you know, you would capture other people, maybe take a few prisoners, take the woman, take the children, and then burn down everything else. Burn down everything else. Um, just bring them into your culture and force your will on them, whatever the case may be. Mongols were very different. They still, you know, did a part of that. But the biggest difference is they would recruit those prisoners that they had. They would recruit engineers and and use surrendered armies to complete their conquests. They would strengthen their weaknesses. So they were very hard to beat because you have to realize they're slowly taking over Asia piece by piece. And over time, you, you're you learning more and more. So I'm tr- now trading as much as possible. I'm taking your warriors. I'm learning their tactics and techniques and imp- implementing into my army. I'm getting you to teach my army how, you, oh, how'd you guys do that thing, right? The biggest thing that this, this is, the biggest reason this is important is your adaptability as a fighter is key. Champions are adaptable, point blank, period. And you cannot fall in love with a simple technique. You can't fall in love with one way to do things because there's plenty of ways to skin a cat. You got to realize that. And even with um, coaches, you know, every coach, every fighter is going to tell you their set way of doing things. And that might be the best thing that works for them. But always have that open mindedness, always be able to determine. All right, what can, and it's like Bruce Lee said, you want to be able to take what works, sheds what's don't, and and create something of your own. The Mongols were living by this in warfare, which is why they were immensely, immensely um, victorious with a lot of their conquests. Honestly, the only weaknesses they had were maybe the difficult terrain, diseases, and infighting, because no other... Um, no other country, no other village could really beat them like this, like as they were. And they were ruthless, ruthless warriors on top of all this as well. So those first few villages that they um, they took over, they would, Genghis would have an entire army encircle uh, a town that was walled up and cut off all their food supplies. And they, they'd sat there for months waiting for that uh that village to slowly star themselves, you know, if they were too strong. Like, these guys are no joke. So, on the, even on the mental side of things, um, very adept. Another thing that I like the Mongols did where they had, um, they were very big on espionage. So, there would be spies, uh, and they would dress up as merchants or priests, and they would go around and gather intelligence on the enemy's strengths and weaknesses. And if there were any... Um, basically Mongol haters 
in the army itself. So he was uh, the Mongol army was constantly learning, constantly evolving, constantly adapting, and, and um, they weren't ignorant to anything that was going on around them, which made them very powerful. And to be able to utilize that, like, um, not every fighter has to watch film, you know, on their opponent. Not every fighter would loves watching film, but you know, watch something watching film is never going to hurt you. You know, some far as just like hearing what their coach says, the more you the more you know about your opponent and what habits they have, how they're going to take what punches they like and don't like, you know, the better chance you have for winning. And this was life or death. So there wasn't no, oh, I'll just, I'll just, you know, f- win the perfect war, fight the perfect war because you could lose and those are all your territories or your whole livelihood is at stake. So it was a no-brainer for them to send spies and see what the other uh, their opposition was doing. So which I think is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. So the biggest thing to take from the Mongol army is their adaptability, their discipline, because they were highly militarized, highly militarized. Um, and the the discipline in order just to have all those different communities collaborating is insane, I believe. And even the mental side, also with Vikings, these guys were no joke being able to exploit the fear um, in their opponents. So I want to read this excerpt. When a city was captured, for example, the entire civilian population could be executed. Men, women, children, priests, even the cats and dogs, with a handful of survivors allowed to escape and tell of the atrocity and the neighboring towns. Consequently, when towns heard of the Mongols' approach, many surrendered without a fight in the hopes of clemency, which was often given. Another ruthless strategy was to use prisoners as human shields when Mongol troops advanced on a fortified city unwise enough to put up a resistance, even to dress up prisoners as Mongol warriors and march them in the front ranks so that defenders wasted their precious arrows on killing their own compatriots. A further source of terror was the Mongols' treatment of the dead. Bodies were mutilated and warriors often took trophies from the fallen, usually the heirs of their victims. Let me tell you, imagine you're in a nice, peaceful town, say, and some some smut comes running up, bloodied, telling you about what these what these guys just did to his entire village and imagine if you're like oh you know uh fuchsia village they're pretty strong over there like who's beating them and then they're coming yeah we just got annihilated and these guys are doing things like taking our ears using our dead bodies of my brethren against me these guys are no joke and to relate that to fighting on the mental aspect you know I feel like someone who really got into their opposition's head got Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is a perfect example. Um, everyone's going to have their own way of doing things. You might not be that fighter, but the mental side is very important, like I said before. Getting into getting into your opponent's head, call, you know, stirring up that fear, being able to make them second-guess their own abilities, you know, their own training goes a long way 
And even being able, even I guarantee if, you know, someone did the same thing to the Mongols, they wouldn't react and surrender either. What would they do? Okay. Now we're going to hit them 10 times harder. So it's a mentality thing. You, you Whatever you're using, you got to be able to defend it as well. So I just believe that um, Mongols are great to to learn from and why they were so successful because of their adaptability, because of the discipline they had um, throughout the army. So the third and final warrior culture that we'll be discussing today are the Zulu warriors. And the Zulus are very, very interesting, very interesting. So they are the Nugin people who migrated from East Africa around the 11th century, and they settled in the South. Today, there's about 22% of the population uh, that the Zulus make up in the South, in South Africa. Excuse me. So the Zulus, they reign from 1816 to 1897. And the biggest thing, um, biggest change for the Zulus in 1816 and their empire was man by the name of Shaka and Shaka revolutionized the the Zulu and warfare so they weren't really a militarized society before Shaka came in and did his thing but when he did um boys started training around age seven and eight and they would go into get initiated into these things called age sets and age sets was basically a unit in the Zulu army where they were stationed away at a barracks and under the direct control from the king. So from age seven, they formed the first class of warriors. They would receive military training on, you know, instructions, tactics, and most they would do is help the warriors in small tasks, like carrying their weapons and so on. Once they got a little older, 18, they learned how to handle weapons and they learned to fight at close range. From 20 to 40, the Zulu was basically dedicated to war. Um, cattle husbandry was being abandoned, like farming. And even if you were a farmer, you were incorporated when required. But a lot of the, the Zulu warriors, they served up until they were, um, you even see a lot of members age 60, 70 plus. So, and even in peacetime, you know, they're still HUD building, you're teaching the next generation, um, and so on. So, these guys were very, so, Shaka himself was a very ruthless, very ruthless um, warlord. And there's, uh, right before he came into power, his king instructed him to cattle raid the opposing village. If you're just going to cowrie, kill a couple of people, come back, easier said than done. Shaka didn't like that. He decides to take a big party with him, ends up slaughtering the entire village, men, women. He only left a f- maybe not even a few prisoners and ends up still taking the cattle back. His king was not pleased by this, but that's the kind of warlord Shaka was. And it showed in how he organized his military. So 
One of the things he revolutionized were, were close-range fighting tactics and their traditional fighting tactics. So um, prior to his reign, opposing armies and villages, they would just, you know, they would have uh, spear warfare. They would get their spears and lob them at each other, essentially. But there weren't many casualties from this. There were more dance rituals. Um, and it wasn't really like an organized warfare. That all changed when Shot came around, though. He introduced uh, his people to close hand-to-hand -hand combat. So he t essentially replaces the spear with a short, uh, shorter, longer, uh, shorter, long-bladed stabbing spear. He also changed their shield size um, and showed them techniques like being able to hook your opponent's shield to throw it out the way in order to get the kill. He and the one of the biggest things that he introduced um, to the Zulu was we they called it the horn of the bull, and this was basically a formation where you imagine a square. Two, you have an army in front of you, which is like a square, and your army, which is a square. So as you guys are fighting, getting a little into the warfare, he would have the left and right flank move out and encircle the army, and then have the front flank pushing. It's pretty simple. Just split up and circle them up, but it would work every time. And as this is going on, the part of the main body would split as well. So the front would go and face off the army, and you still had the back reserve fighters. Now, the back reserve fighters are more like the younger children and the older men, like past their prime. Um, and all the young bucks were in that that left and right encircling and in the front and this formation just absolutely devastated most of his opposition even the british had a hard time dealing with him because of this formation and it just revolutionized combat for the zulu warriors they also um you know they were very they were like a cheeky people so, you know, the British, they admired their, their British's wordplay and their skill with words. So they would start mocking their opponents on the battlefield, mocking their weapons. And they hardly ever took prisoners, hardly ever took prisoners. These guys are no joke. And um, conflicts and even in between the Zulu tribes, you know, there's a lot of infighting. Conflicts can start from anything, be cattle stealing, border violations. Um, pasture usurp uh, usurpation. So the the wars were just violent and short. Uh, a lot of the raids they would surround the enemy village at night and just cause um cause a whole bunch of panic. They would purposely yell loud. They'd be making a whole bunch of noise, screaming, just try and induce fear into their opponents as they're slaughtering them. The most they would do is take the children, and but the children become slaves. So, all this to say, right? You already see with the Zulus the same thing. Biggest thing is adaptability. Shaka being able to adapt those tactics and being able to revolutionize this military was one of the biggest things. And even his discipline, because they didn't have that much discipline at the time. Like I said, before it was just whatever 
infighting, whatever, just um, spear skirmishes they have. But so he came along, he really put structure. Excuse me. He really put structure and organization into the military. He split up the different. um, Excuse me. He split up different or um, units within different age, uh, units based on age, based on tactics. Um, and he did a lot. So all that goes to show, right? For all three of these cultures, it was phenomenal, phenomenal adaptability, being able to surfay basically and even with the zulus they also they also had spies they also uh did infiltrations and and took um as much information as possible and reported back to the king so and what are the themes you're seeing you're seeing the adaptability you're seeing being able to um not be hindered by your environment being able to grow and, and flow and change with it and even with with uh, the Zulus, the reason they were still doing the spears is just because it was traditional. So, and a lot of people didn't want to move from that tradition. But that's the thing, you know, you got to do what's best for you to win. Win in life, win in the fight, period. So, if you feel you find yourself holding on to something because you're comfortable with it, you know, maybe you should reevaluate that because it could be better that for you to change and, and, uh, and improvise. So their adaptability, the discipline, he, he created this entire military system. Um, and it was very effective, very effective. Um, and he would even, with their shields, when he changed the shields, he would give them different colored shields based on cattle hides for the different um, units. So like left flank unit, right flank unit, like the reserves in the back, everyone had a role. And um, British had a hard time dealing with them. British didn't get them out of there until 1879, where they suffered defeat. So, yeah, guys, that was the first part of this episode. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the Mongols, the Vikings, and the Zulu warriors, and me talking about them. And just the things, you, you'll notice a pattern in how they all had certain aspects, why they reigned for so long, why they were so effective in warfare. And the exact reason why they were effective in warfare, you looked at the exact reason why fighters, the, the top fighters, are effective because they're using some of the same tactics. Being able to get into your opponent's head mentally, uh, using fear to your advantage, being able to, to research and learn and study up on your opponent, being able to adapt with warfare, being able to learn as much as possible. You now, all these things create um, the ideal warrior and even in this case the ideal warrior culture so that's all guys part two is going to be coming up um if not the 25th the 26th for sure i'm not gonna let you guys wait a week for this so yeah let me guys let me know your thoughts in the comments let me know if you felt like i missed out on uh potential information you wanted to hear from these cultures because i definitely do another part going more in depth on it and that's all i wanted to get into guys today so yeah i hope you guys have a blessed friday and i'll see you all on the next one